Welcome to Business Lines State of the Economy podcast where you'll find insight analysis and the story behind the numbers. Hi, welcome to this edition of State of Economy podcast on defense. In our relentless effort to understand and inform our listeners complex and varied aspects of defense business that often overlap strategic and diplomatic architecture of the country, we have with us an industry veteran in Mr. JD Patel, a member of the executive Council of Management of L&T and advisor to the CEO and MD for L&T's defense and new age smart technology businesses Mr Patel in his more than 4 decade long stint with the L&T has seen the Indian private defense industry grow from a scratch in fact his company credits him with having foresight that encouraged the L&T to foray into defense business much ahead of liberalization of the license raj way back in 2001 to allow participation of private companies an alumni of iit mumbai having pursued mtech in mechanical engineering in 1978 mr patel was not only instrumental in nudging the lnt to emerge as one of the lead private players in defense sector especially in maritime domain but he is founder chairperson of indian space association he is also on the board of indian national space promotion and authorization center which is the regulator and promoter for space sector perhaps this brief sketch of his is enough to introduce our guest to the listeners his coming to the business line podcast i hope will enrich discussion as the union cabinet cleared fdi in space and ministry of defense is going to celebrate 10 years of defense reforms which began when modi government came to power in 2014 nice to have you mr patel on our podcast uh, let's take up the fresh issue of 100% fdi in space uh, which union cabinet announced last night i am sure the government took this initiative to tap into global space economy no which is expected to grow to 44 billion dollars by 2033 and we are around just 2 to 3% of the global space economy that brings me to the two question first question how well prepared we are in terms of policy uh, initiative and industry response good morning morning dilip and uh, good to be talking to you obviously uh, this has been an extremely long journey for uh, people like us in the sector and given that uh, this is an sector of next sunshine as what we keep talking of what used to be in case of defense today space happens to be something similar it's extremely important therefore that uh, when we look at the fdi in space uh, there's an enormous amount of uh, importance we attach because this fdi is not 100% blanket Uh, i want uh, this to be clearly understood there are three clear sort of stages in case of this fdi the satellites operations was always available under 100% fdi even before so what the government indeed has done is this 100% fdi for satellite operations continues notwithstanding there is still a permission to be taken because if there is data being sort of collected and transmitted about anything on the indian um, sort of territory 
there is a permission to be taken from the government, which is vested in the in space. Now, this is what is uh, for the 100% portion, which is on the satellites, also for the components, so that our industry starts building state-of-the-art component, which in any case, the industry has been doing for ISRO. But now, we will also be in a position to do this kind of uh, ultra-high precision parts and subsystems for anybody else's satellite. The second tier of this FDI is clearly about 74% and the third tier is about 49% under the automatic group. Now, why this is important is there are certain areas of the space, like let's say you're making a launch vehicle. The space launch vehicle is as good as, let's say an ICBM. And this is where it is extremely important that the FDI they cannot be different than what is applicable in case of something similar for the military. And that's exactly where under that it is 49. And then there are categories in between for the ground systems and those. Now for ground systems, it is 74 under automatic and 100 under the government route. The reason is very simple. You, you, you're going to be sort of putting up the tech side within my own country using my own territory. So I will allow you 74%, which is an absolute majority and nobody can block what you're trying to do. But at the same time, in case you want to, there, there has to be a specific reason for the government to clear that it is beyond 74. In general, I would say it's an extremely well and a delicate balancing which has been achieved. I wanted to get on to this counter space capabilities. I think which uh, uh, CDS uh, General Anil Chahan also talked a few days back. Especially on this context, we have ASAT capabilities, but uh, there were huge uh, question marks uh, whether we had the ability to shoot down a Chinese you know, balloon which reportedly uh, flew across our space, which eventually later, you no know, Americans did it. So, do you think you have varied counter space capabilities? And in this context, I'm also I would also like to pitch in this issue before you respond. Indian Air Force is also trying to get uh, you no know, uh, into space, and I think there is already a proposal pending with the government. You being on the in-space and you, know, you are a, a inside person on the space uh, uh, domain of India, do let me know what you think about it. See, every armed forces will need uh, this capability. It's not only uh, Air Force or for that matter Army in terms of terrains where you fight. Situational awareness will become uh, yet another dimension and India realized it um, much, much before. If you notice under the CDS, the, there is a specific position which was created more than a decade back uh, for intelligence and surveillance. And you, you have a three-star uh, you know, uh, officer who occupies that kind of a chair. Now, this is where there's also a defense space agency that exists uh, right now, which is in a way a tri-service agency, but uh, has always been very sizably, I would say, led by Air Force personnel. Now, when we start looking at any new domain, uh, there's a lot of understanding gaps. Now, balloon is not a space object. Balloon is an object which is below the space, but above the normal flying limits of what an aircraft flies. Now, we know that the aircraft flying limits are 
let's say at best about 60,000 feet. So to that extent, you can say 20 kilometer kind of a, a scenario. But up to 50 kilometers, which is where the space begins, there is an in-between. Now, neither your missiles will go there, neither are your you know, other capabilities by which you can destroy something in that space, unless you have a, truly an ASAT capability, which in normal case, ASAT you will use when you go beyond into the space. Now, the legal definition between space and aviation uh, truly begins, uh, it becomes full space at about beyond 50 kilometers. Now, in between is where do you want to use that larger weapon to be able to do that? Of course, if the target is something which is that worrisome, I'm sure there is a capability within the country which can always be utilized. But your normal air defense won't really perform there. What can perform is a theater fighting capability, typically what we use in case of the ballistic missile defense. And those capabilities exist in India. We also have the Russian S-400s, which are today in India. This capability also was created through DRDO and industry. And that's a capability which actually can perform to what we are really needing. None of these have been today, the Indian capabilities, yet inducted. Bigger threat in case of uh, space objects is not about whether China will knock off our satellite or we'll knock off Chinese satellite. The bigger threat today in case of space is if I can hack your satellite, I don't need my satellite. What I can do today on ground, I can also do it in space. And that's exactly where now you start seeing that India is talking of enormous amount of focus on why we want to make our own chips, why we want to design them here. Now, if you have designed and made your own chips, there's no way somebody can actually sort of hack it because you have your own hardware, you have your own software, your own control on what you will allow and what you will not allow in terms of electronics communication. Your interfaces decide whether somebody can ever communicate. If you are out of communication band, nobody can hack you. Last month, no Defense Secretary, uh, Mr. Girdar Armani, uh, in an interview, said nearly 45% of new defense orders will be going to private industry. And 25% uh, and of the uh, R&D government budget uh, will be up for uh, no private players. Why regulate orders when we have opened up the defense sector and what exactly uh, can you take us through any big projects we can expect this year? A very tricky and a good question, uh, Dilip. Uh, I'm, I must say that the, I, I'll deal with it in two parts. First, the uh, 25% R&D funding. This is something which uh, the finance minister announced in the budget of 22-23. So today we are exactly 25 months beyond that date. We have not seen any action. Obviously, we have constantly heard that uh, the leadership at the level of political as well as the secretarial level have been talking that this will be made available to the industry. As of date, this is a, I would say, a process which has not yet begun. This was supposed to be implemented through the make routes and make route means that there's a joint funding the government and industry will do towards building future capabilities. As of date, uh, except for one program, which was 
not really announced under make but placed on a psu under make no other program under make one category of joint funding has happened so uh, let's rest it at that because a lot of these are futuristic a lot of these are those kind of things which the government will want to sort of talk that we are opening up we are allowing more and more of industry why it is all being done is for a very simple reason on the export side when we look at the performance 92% up to 2020 was an export which was happening through private industry 8% was happening through psus if i took uh, take let's say a statistics today from 2016 to let's say 2024 the number is about 80% is going from private sector now if private sector didn't have capability there was no question of uh, private sector being able to export more than the psus it speaks volumes that uh, there is a certain layer in the government which does not see the imminent and of course there is a norm enormous amount of protectionism when it comes to dealing with the psus and that's exactly where your next question relates why regulate orders fact is government of india from 2011 even in the previous government regime said there won't be any nomination after 2014 and a change of regime and far 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 positive and i would say government which is now making enormous amount of uh, uh, reforms being bringing those reforms for involvement of private sector we still have heard all along that there won't be any nomination fact today is bulk of the business or bulk of the orders are still regulated and nominated on psus i mean one can always put a statistics just last two years of statistics if one looks at whatever has been signed in terms of contracts because we are not to talk of someone in industry that you gave aons i know aons are more than 90% in indian basket now what is relevant is out of that 90% which is indian basket how much is in private how much is in public if the governments let's say walk the talk has to be observed then there should have been no limits on how much should be allowed to a private sector or for that matter a public sector may the best man win current scenario is when somebody talks about so much percentage will be given to private sector there's still in the mind of the i would say the bureaucratic layer that this still needs to be controlled and that's exactly which is a worry this is not something one hears in terms of the atmanirbhar bharat kind of vision this is not something which we hear from the political uh, layer of the uh, government current percentage incidentally is exactly 25% and that's a target till last year the percentage was 19 so 19 to march 24 when we close this financial year we should have moved on to 25 this 6% i don't see the number of contracts that have been signed we would reach 45 we will keep waiting for the time when the defense secretary statement comes true when it happens we certainly will believe it uh, that's quite uh, candid uh, sir uh, you were also part of the ragwan committee the uh, do you think uh, you and other members were able to push through some two issues which have been you know uh, sort of bothering uh, people on uh, drdo's functioning a bringing transparency accountability and streamlining the functioning 
good part of what DRDO does is quite misunderstood. And I, I must say so, having known DRDO for four decades, uh, I, I'm someone who's been working with DRDO from 1985. So I understand what I'm talking. DRDO has been very sizably doing a work in a zone when bulk of whatever capability India should develop was not being given to India. And there was a clear apartheid when it comes to, you know, flow of technology into India. Now, when you are into that kind of a zone of call it, we always uh, say, you know, denial regime. In denial regimes, what you ought to have taken in terms of time, you can always go wrong. Now, we cannot measure R&D and this is applicable worldwide and to any and every, even private companies, when we say that we'll probably do a new product development in three years' time, it can become four years. Now, the scenario in case of uh, DRDO is the ratios are a little bad. It's not as 1.3, 1.5 times, two times. There are programs in which it has become worse, and it's not for any sort of intention that, uh, that these uh, scientists who are there they don't know their job. It's not that. On the policy side, what have we really made out DRDO as is extremely relevant because if, let's say, we buy onions and potatoes for putting it into a canteen, follow the same process as top-end research uh, contracting to be done, then there's a lot to do with the process, which is also enormously contributing to these delays and the freedom which is not being available to people on ground. So there has been huge amount of debates on some of these issues that DRDO certainly can be measured and should be measured like any other thing because if government money is being spent, there has to be a measure of output, but then they also need an empowerment. Now, a current setup in DRDO is obviously that entire decision-making stays within ministry. We know when, when it is ministry, it's primarily the bureaucratic, bureaucratic layer and that's essentially where probably uh, higher decision-making forum uh, is what is going to make sense. And that is what the committee has attempted. Yeah, getting on to another subject, I think, uh, which is, uh, I'm sure would you would love to talk about. Now, government is trying to build huge uh, shape-building infrastructure uh, through uh, defense, uh, PSU and private industry collaboration. Being one of the leading, you know, private shipbuilding company, uh, are you engaged uh, in this initiative of the government? Shipbuilding, in fact, Lassantubro is involved, I must say, for uh, nearly 35 years now. And uh, I'm talking of proper shipbuilding. Equipment and systems, uh, we do for nearly four decades now. Now, given that, we have always seen that this is a sector which is uh, quite misused in terms of uh, the ordering side. Because if you don't make opportunities available to industry, uh, you don't expect the industry to be doing anything wonderful. While today I can say that uh, this is a sector which was quite well balanced about one, one and a half decade back. There were primarily three government PSUs, I mean, the defense PSUs and one PSU, which is Cochin. And there are four which existed. We added an HSL, which was a... We also had four major private sector companies as of that time. 
all private sector companies except Lassen to grow had to shut shop, get into bankruptcy, and their business stopped. Now, this is when, when it happens. I think any decision maker in the government has to be thinking as to why this has happened. Commercial shipbuilding in India is not viable because the Chinese subsidies are so high that at 20, 25-30% differential in terms of cost of what you produce, commercial market will not buy anything for 2 rupees extra from you. And the subsidies which obviously towards export of commercial ships, uh, we, we probably had a regime in which uh, it was assured, not given. Thereafter, now currently there's again the subsidies there. But then we, we seem to be confused as to whether a subsidy should be given for normal shipbuilding or only for the green shipbuilding. And this is exactly where the one who has to bid in international markets cannot count on much of what the government can provide. I mean, one can always interpret the same rules or same laws or same policy little differently from different shoes and different eyes. Now, this is where the defense shipbuilding becomes extremely important. 89% of all the orders from the day shipbuilding was opened for private sector participation in 2001 to 2023 have been nominated to PSUs. So government, while on the front of speaking, has very clearly spoken that, uh, yes, uh, we would want to uh, allow this to be done by anybody and everybody. But at the same time, when it comes to regulating the orders, the order inflow has been primarily regulated. Now, is it the thing of the past? Hopefully, and most probably it is thing of the past because after 2016, uh, I must say more like 2017, we have seen that many, many contracts have come into competitive bidding. But there's a fact that even today, if we count the total order value placed in shipbuilding in a given year from Ministry of Defense, there's a sizable amount of nomination. It's not as as 89%, but there's a very sizable nomination still exists. Now, given this, there's a clear focus of the government that, or rather certain layer of administration, that the PSUs are important and they need to be surviving. Now, obviously, if there's only one private uh, shipyard, which today is Lassen to grow, we count on our performance because till date, we have built 64 ships for India. We have built 12 ships for somebody outside. Now, none of these contracts were even one day delayed in terms of delivery. Government obviously has today still continuing to invest. Now, the biggest level playing field difference in case of shipbuilding that you raise the subject comes in because PSU bulk of the assets are actually government funded. So the asset servicing cost in the PSU's book is negligible, virtually zero. When a private sector creates the same asset using the same Indian money, one which is collected in the form of tax from people like you and me, and then spent by government onto a government shipyard. Second, the banking system, the private sector company borrows money, builds a shipyard. Now it has obviously to be serviced in terms of depreciation and interest. And this will now appear in your tender when you are filling as a cost. As a result, the private sector's ability to win competitively 
has not been so great. Now, this is not understood by the administration that there is a fundamental level playing field difference. And this is exactly where I would say the private sector, one after another, shipyards have got closed and virtually gone out of business. So uh, this reminds me, uh, sir, what is the status of uh, submarine project uh, P75I? No, uh, you have bid and you have tied up with Navantia and are competing against you know, uh, uh, Mazagon uh, Dock and Thyssen uh, Group. Yeah. The program still is being handled through very, very delicate level of, uh, I would say, classification. Uh, suffices to say that the TECs are behind us. Uh, and of course, uh, now it is in the, the limited field evaluation trial which need to be done. And thereafter, the commercial process begins. This also, uh, no, let's talk about uh, your ventures. Uh, so, uh, sir, I'm, uh, I'm told uh, the trials are going on for all-terrain vehicle, no, BV-S10. Uh, co-produced in collaboration with BAE Systems. So is there any uh, so order uh, on your way? In fact, we have finished the trial. Unfortunately, uh, the you know other players uh, have not been able to do some part of their trial. So we have to wait for some more time. Uh, we have to see whether there's some other vehicles also qualify or not. So I, I wouldn't count on that order in... Uh, you know, the budget year of 24-25. In this whole segment, no, Americans are trying to push their own the all-terrain vehicle, the striker. Uh, given that, you no, know, India uh, has capability, defense PSUs, they manufacture all-terrain vehicles. Do you think uh, more the merrier or uh, do you have, uh, you no know, reservations over you no know, striking coming into the market? I think each one of us are uh, focusing on certain segments, if I look at it. Purely land-based, uh, uh, let's say, vehicles, if one looks at. Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, there's Mahindras, there's Bharat Forge, there's Tata's. I think the all-terrain vehicle that we are talking of right now, which has completed this trial, where the BAE is involved, is to a very sizably different reason. Any vehicle which uh, till today we've been operating in India has certain ground pressures. So there's a restriction in terms of what you can use or whether you can use this vehicle in the marshes of let's say the Sir Creek. Now this is where the ability of a company to sort of bring in the land domain as well as the marine domain, marry the two into a system makes an enormous difference. And that's your unique position we believe in Lassen Dubro, we enjoy because we are a major in land as well as in marine. And that's exactly where some of these systems, when you are able to put together, they create a winner. Sir, uh, I think uh, the Q3 uh, results of LNT, I think the consolidated net profit was uh, something around, uh, no, I think more than 2,900 crores. Uh, uh, no, how much of... Uh, of the defense uh, business, uh, um, LNT defense contributed uh, in this uh, net profit of of the company as a whole. See, LNT defense, we have always been very very clear that at overall Lassen to Bro level, it's between two and three percent. 
uh, on a consolidated balance sheet about 2% on a standalone balance sheet little more than 3%. Now for varieties of reasons uh, we have uh, a clear segment which we today when we announce our results uh, we, we say that it's a high-tech segment. Now the high-tech is all about uh, aerospace it is all about the nuclear power plant related work that we do. So call it the strategic. Now strategic plus what we sell to the world as 2% of the equipment in any petrochemical refinery or uh, you know uh, very very high uh, end uh, uh, sort of uh, reactors uh, that get sold. Why is it that uh, no listed defense PSUs uh, no come up with their results huh, on on defense, but listed private companies they don't share their numbers. I think defense PSUs uh, there's there's nothing else they do. So their hundred percent of output is in defense. So obviously they come out with it. In case of a Lassen to Pro, why do you want to measure for a stock uh, analyst or for that matter investing community? Why do I have to monitor a 2% or a 3% of company's output? I, I concentrate on that 100%. And that's exactly where it is because Lassento Pro is not someone which runs one business. We run 18. Now, all 18, we don't announce. We announce five or six segments wherein some consolidation between these sectors take place. So obviously, when you start growing numbers, imagine a scenario of a Lassento Pro in excess of 2 lakh crores of annual revenue. Does it make sense talking of a few percentage points of that and then talking of measuring them? Because neither the market values us for what we do in defense. They're valuing that overall balance sheet. What is your target for 2024, if I may ask? Targets, Lassento Pro never talks. We only talk of uh, order inflow growth and those kind of things. So what is uh, what is the order, uh, or, or the book order, if you can uh, talk about that, and B and your exports? Uh... Our order book as of today is well in excess of 20,000 crores. And uh, we hope to be closing the year by making it better. Okay, and and uh, can you talk about exports? Any big, uh, no orders which uh, LNT is looking up or or has already signed up? We today export to about fourteen countries, and uh, the volumes are just about I would say what we do in defense. About ten percent is what we sell overseas. No, given uh, the no trouble in oceans in I know in Indo Pacific. Uh, and and the government has been uh, has been trying to you know to push uh, India into a major MRO hub. So, is is anything happening uh, on those lines? Uh, that's what I wanted to know. Are you in talks with any other country uh, to to sort of invite them uh, for your uh, you know facilities that you can offer? Uh, the answer is yes, and for a simple reason, there is only mega shipyard. Incidentally, the area of my shipyard is 970 acres. It is multiple times larger than all government-owned PSU shipyards put together. So given this, there is a facility in this shipyard which can lift 22,000 tons of a vessel in a matter of just one or two hours from sea onto land do entire work on land and then push the sea ship back into the sea. 
and it's a, through a system called a lift. It's a ship lift capable of 22,000 tons. Now, these are things which obviously everybody in the else in the world imports, including other ship lifts that exist in India have all been imported. But the fact is, in case of Lassen to grow, we build the ship lift ourselves. So you know that, uh, you know, it's like you make your own equipment, you know precisely what it can do and precisely how you can sort of tweak it to do more of what you want by doing some small changes, small modifications, small improvements, small changes in controls to be able to do that. Now, given that mega-size vessels, today we are able to lift. Now, that is essentially where a dry docking as a method for ship repair has its own disadvantages. But if you have a ship lift, there's an enormous efficiency. What you do in a dry dock and what you do on using a ship lift and do work on land, your efficiency of work is in multiples because you're not to worry that the dry dock will get flooded. Whole lot of those restrictions on number of people and all those kind of things don't exist. The scaffolding is built around every ship in a dry dock separately, whereas when it is on land, you can do structured kind of uh, scaffolds and do all the work on the ship on the outside surfaces as well as inside. Has the conflicts, uh, no, Russia, Ukraine and Hamas, Israel impacted uh, LNT uh, sort of business? I would say yes and no. Uh, yes, uh, early stages of the, I would say, uh, Ukraine, Russia, because a whole lot of sanctions, a whole lot of material flow got disturbed. Ukraine used to be a source for enormous amount of uh, steels, very various alloy steels as well as titanium and things like that. So was Russia. Now, those sources obviously have dried up. But then, last two years, there have been alternates found. And you know that in the strategic area, you can never buy anything from Chinese. So the three major sources in the world have dried up. So it does have its own issues into some of your execution. I would say on the Israel-Hamas, uh, still localized. If it stays localized, we probably won't have so much of an issue. The issue primarily today is because of the Houthi rebels and the North Sea-related uh, ship, shipping. Most of what you are supposed to be getting from, let's say, anywhere in Europe, not only Israel. Israel, the purchases may be very, very small. But what you used to get from Europe now cannot come so easily and it adds extra cost, extra time. Europe itself being at war creates issues in terms of whatever you're buying from uh, Europe. And that's essentially where the delivery times are all going awry. If they promised you a delivery, let's say June, uh, it's not surprising that they would say few months before instead of June, we'll now deliver it in July or you deliver it in August. Now, these delays have started uh, coming in and that's essentially where some of your programs, because when you have a firm contract from government of India, this is geopolitics does not appear into your force measure. Force measure is if things happen in India, not outside. And that's essentially where, unless you had much, much ahead of time schedule, you are in trouble. I think, sir, uh, on that note, uh, I think we'll have to wind up uh, our uh, engaging uh, discussion. With...
Thank you. Thank you, Dalit.